Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. And it's 10.05 here on a late night, Monday night. Steve Thompson in for Henry Lake. Henry was in on the morning news for Dave Lee. He'll do that again tomorrow. We'll have a Twins doubleheader tomorrow night. There are a number of media reports now. Do Young Park for MLB.com. Megan Ryan for the Star Tribune uh, reporting that the Twins didn't have any positive tests for COVID-19 among the results re- they received this evening. This, according to sources, uh, the club will travel to the Bay Area tonight and get ready for a doubleheader tomorrow. Our pregame show would begin at 5. First pitch at 5.30 of Game 1 of the doubleheader, as you know, over the weekend. Two games with the Angels, Saturday night and a Sunday matinee were postponed, and today's scheduled game in Oakland was moved to Tuesday with the idea. So good news, it looks like the Twins will be ready to play two in Oakland on Tuesday and one again on Wednesday. We'll continue to keep you up to date. And if we get any official word from the Twins tonight, we'll certainly pass that statement along to you right here at News Talk, E3OWCCO. It is 10.06. You may have heard Chet Holmgren uh, commits to Gonzaga earlier today uh, in a announcement at Minnehaha Academy. Timberwolves are idle. They open uh, two in a row at Sacramento starting Tuesday night. Uh, that series will continue on Wednesday night before they head for Utah before finally returning to Target Center. And right now the Wild uh, begin a trip. They're in Arizona to play the Coyotes, and they lead it 3-2 in the third. We'll have more on that later on. Speaking of hockey, uh, we we are going to go back in time and talk about an epic hockey game in state tournament history. And it it really is uh, extraordinary. It goes back to the 1996 state tournament. Apple Valley and Duluth East play a five-overtime semifinal game. Well, someone was so intrigued by all of that that he decided to make a film about it. And uh, that filmmaker, Aaron Briner, joins us on the phone. Aaron, good to visit with you. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me on. All right, Aaron. Uh, when, when did you actually say, I, I got to do, do a film about this game? Well, it probably was a little over a year ago, almost even 18 months ago. Um, just had a passion for doing sports documentaries. Wanted to do one myself. You know, love watching the ESPN 30 for 30s. You go back even further. It's like the uh, NFL films with Steve's table. Like always watching those as a kid growing up. Wanted to do it myself. Wanted to take a shot at doing something real. 
And about 18 months ago, kind of light bulb went off my head saying, you know what, we're coming up on the 25th anniversary of that game. And, you know, be a local guy with, you know, kind of no budget, like what could I do that's local? A local story and that, that, uh, that game came up and I'm like, let's go after it. And started getting the ball rolling and talked with both schools right away and both were very receptive. Both athletic directors were very receptive to the idea, got me in touch with some players and then we were rolling. About a year ago, we really started going. Now, tell us a little bit about your background. Are, are you a filmmaker by trade or or did, did you just do this as, as a hobby? Tell us about that part of the story. I am not a filmmaker by trade. I never studied it, just played around with it uh, as a hobby. Um, get some, you know, nowadays technology, when you get the computers and stuff now, a lot of some of that software is already built into it. So I just started playing around on my own and having fun with it, made a couple practice documentaries on my own, just kind of for fun. And then, um, but no, I have no formal training. Uh, this is just a passion project, a side project. And that's what it was for me. And it was fun to do this story. Now, now I suppose there were, there were a lot of things. You probably sat down and said, okay, uh, great game. Uh, many consider it the greatest game in state tournament history. That, that 96 semifinal between Apple Valley and Duluth East going to five overtimes. And and I suppose you go, all right, we, we get we get players uh, from both sides. We get coaches. Um, we, we potentially get people that covered the game. Was it was it a challenge to track anybody down or or get get footage of anybody? I mean, were were, were there any and usual circumstance you had to go far and wide to find someone not, not really um that was one nice thing about you know minnesota and the hockey community is getting in touch with people was you know some of the bigger names are a little bit harder to get in touch with like sure. i don't obviously know lou nanny personally but we had to get some you know luck and some help to get in touch with them but everybody we got a hold of was happy to talk about happy to sit down and talk about that game talk about hockey talk about hockey in the state of minnesota so it really wasn't a hard time. Nobody nobody pushed back. Nobody really said, no, I don't want to do it. Um, that was one of the things that I was, I was blown away by, how, how many people were like, yeah, I remember that game. I remember who I was. I remember calling that game. I remember playing that game. I remember watching that game. And we're more than happy to sit down for an interview. The, you know, the only challenge was everybody was still involved in hockey. So almost everybody we talked to said, well, I got my kids got a game, or I got a game, I'm coaching a game. I can do it at two o'clock, then I have to go to this game. And um, that was the only challenge was juggling people's current hockey schedules with themselves and coaching and the kids playing and, and all that. And then, of course, COVID threw a few wrinkles in it. We had to cancel and reschedule some interviews and stuff like that. But in terms of, you know, the personnel involved in that game, and now everybody was really receptive to, to us and our team. and putting this together and they were happy to sit down and do interviews. And it was, it was a lot of fun hearing those stories. And that yeah, was great. Yeah. And Aaron, was it a challenge to get the actual game footage? And I, I, I believe I saw in a story that UPN nine at the time was a rights holder or, or did you ultimately work with the high school league to get, get the rights to use that game footage? Um, so the state high school league owns the right to those broadcasts. So right. I worked with them first, and they said, um, you, have, you have our permission to use this footage. Now, the footage itself came from players and parents' VHS tapes that I had to convert to digital. So that's where 
the physical hands-on footage came from from the guy like, oh, let me I'm in my basement or my parents' basement. I got these old oh, wow. Let me dig them out, and I got a hold of them. We brought them into you know companies now that convert it to to digital format, and so that the physical hands-on footage came from 25-year-old VHS tapes that we converted digitally. Um, so it was interesting. Like a lot of guys still had them, and one of the first things happened about a year ago when we first reached out. A lot of the guys were, you know, I got scrapbooks and photo books. I got those VHS tapes. Let me dig them out. And more than happy to get it to us. And so that's where the footage physically came from. But the State High School League owns the right to those broadcasts. And I worked with them. And they were great to work with about getting, you know, some contracts in place and the licensing fee to go ahead and use it. And that's that's where we went. Yeah, and, and you, you brought up a team. You, you didn't do it alone. How many people helped you on this project, Aaron? Uh, we had, I had a cinematographer, a videographer guy that uh, was with me. We had a, I had a marketing partner. I had somebody doing the uh, motion graphics. I had somebody doing the audio. I had somebody else doing some uh, poster or marketing. So we probably had five, six, seven people together on our team really um, put it together from the start. Um, off and on, you know, they get some of the guys that did the posters came in and out yeah. for about a month. But we really had three of us at the core that were really in it from the start to finish and saw it to the end point here last week. Now, how many hours do you think you had into this <laughs> and, and all the people that helped you out? Or, or is it just too many to count? It is. It really is too many to count. Um, it was a ton of hours. It was not just nights and weekends, you know, sitting on the, going into my computer on the editing station and tweaking this thing 30 seconds. This one's got to go up or this sound bite's not correct, right? And, just kind of drilling those things back and forth. And then, you know, it's constantly on your mind when you're running around the day. You're thinking about how I can make it better or what am I missing. And, and so in terms of, like, total hours, it's really hard to tell. Um, but just lots of, a lot of nights and weekends and just kind of a passion project. Um, it was fun, and I enjoyed doing it. I, I got excited at the end of the day when I could – dinner was over and go jump on the computer and play around some more and really, really get after it. It is amazing. Now, how how long is the finished product? Uh, how how long is the film you make? Just shy of one hour. I think it runs fifty six minutes and change, officially, but just shy of an hour. Yeah, that that is incredible. Just shy of one hour. I think it runs fifty six minutes and change, officially, but just shy of an hour. Yeah, that that is incredible. How many people did you end up talking to? Players, coaches. Uh, you mentioned Lou Nanny, who has broadcasted state tournaments uh, almost since the beginning. Uh, so, so you talked to a lot of people. How many? I think we had 22 interviews altogether. We had, wow. um, I'm, I can't do the math in my head, but we had six guys from Duluth and Mike Randolph. We had seven guys from Apple Valley and Coach Westrom. And then we had uh, five or six, maybe even seven local celebrities um, or media personnel that worked the game or covered the game. And then part of the story was, um, part of the story is um, upending Jefferson's dynasty in the early 90s. So we were able to get um, Tom Soderdown and Mark Parrish from those Jefferson Jaguar teams. Um, they sat down and interviewed as well. So I think it was 20, 21, 22 or something like that was the final number for interviews. Now, now that is incredible. So you, you do all this work, you put this together, and, and I suppose the next part of it is how do we get it out to people? How do we potentially monetize this a little bit? 
How did you go about doing that? Because distributing a film isn't easy. It is not. No, we're, uh, we, we end up going just kind of a grassroots style with it. We went to Vimeo um, instead of an Amazon Prime or a Google. Uh, Vimeo, which, you know, it's a large company as well. Don't get me wrong, but they felt a little more grassroots. And so Vimeo allows you to kind of set up your own kind of on-demand homepage. And so we able to, uh, the State High School League granted us permission to monetize it. And so we put it on Vimeo um, for $3 rental or $10 purchase. And now we're um, just trying to get the word out as much as possible. One of our team members is uh, really good with Twitter. So we've established a Twitter handle, and he has been working nonstop to kind of tag and um, connect with the hockey community and sports community in general. So he's working relentlessly to get that out there. We're just really, really kind of going grassroots with the marketing. And we're going to give it some time here and see what happens. And if, if we can't get out there enough, then we'll probably look and see what else we can do. If we want to do a little more fundraising and pay for some more marketing, we'll kind of see what happens right now. But um, right now, if you go to the website, our website is, if you don't mind me plugging it. Oh, sure. Go uh, ahead. Avenue18productions.com. And that's what the, the website's been from the start. From there, you can see the trailer. We have a GoFundMe set up. There's a link to watch the, the movie itself. So, Everything funnels through that website. And so we're just pushing people to the website. Or, you know, if it's through emails, we can link them directly to the Vimeo On Demand. But we're, that's, that's how we're starting out here, real grassroots, and we'll see what happens. And uh, with the Wild doing as well as they are right now, there's still just a lot of hockey chatter in the hockey community. So we're just trying to engage with those people that are watching the Wild, talking the Wild, and um, – we're just trying to get after them, get connected with people and say, hey, if you like hockey and you got an hour to kill, check it out. We live this great story from 25 years ago. Aaron Briner, filmmaker, Marathon on Ice, uh, the story of the 1996 Minnesota State High School League Hockey Tournament, five overtime semifinal game between Duluth East and Apple Valley. Everybody knows how, how the story ends, um, but – the, the people that were involved in the exhaustion. Is there anything when you did all these interviews and are putting the film together that, that stood out to you that you didn't know or really surprised you about that game? Uh, one thing that I, I still, I kind of forgot about over the years was that it was only two to one after the second period. And I kind of forgot that. And, you know, the high school periods are shorter. So in that third period of this epic game, there was five, score, five goals scored in a 15-minute period. And I kind of forgot that it was, you know, more defensive, more goaltending focused up until that third period. Third period became somewhat of a shootout, and it's almost like the goalies got upset. And like, okay, we put an end to this. We're done with the goal scoring. Now all the goalies are going to step up, and they did for four-plus overtimes. So I think that was one of the biggest things that surprised me. I kind of forgot about it. That was the first two periods, there wasn't a whole lot of scoring. In them. And then it all kind of erupted in the third period and then went into shutdown again. I suppose when you visited with these players after all these years, the, the guys remember the game like it was yesterday because I, I found that talking to, to, to players or coaches in, in big games and big moments, they, they remember the details so vividly. Did you find that as well, Aaron? 
Yeah, we were. I mean, a lot of guys remember the scoring plays, how tired they were. They remember a lot of the guys were talking a lot about uh, the locker rooms too, like between some of those overtime periods, and you know, remember those scenes of guys in the locker rooms with their. Uh, I think it was Kyle Colquist. His interview was talking about you know guys laying on their back with their feet up in the air in the locker room and just you know strange scenes that they're not used to seeing in a locker room between between periods. So a lot of a lot of them had memories of the game itself, the locker room uh, before the game, after the game, and so yeah, it was a lot of them had pretty pretty strong memories of of that night and I should say the morning too. <laughs> they didn't get over to 1:40 and. Um, I remember Wally Shaver's call. It says twenty to two, and this game has finally ended. So, the game spanned two days, and yeah, they had a lot of good memories of it, and very vivid memories from when I was talking to. Did, did yeah? Did and did you get a, a a chance to visit with Wally? Yeah, Wally did. We connected with Wally. He sat down and did an interview for us, and it was a great interview. Um, and it was you know he was such a pro. Um, on on the microphone and with us too before we got over there he said i before you guys got here i looked up some notes and he was refreshing himself on the notes of the game he took he still had and it was a great interview with wally and he had some good insight too obviously because he was he was doing the play-by-play and he's still active he still didn't go for play-by-play on radio so wally was a great interview a great guy to talk to and um, he had some good good stories and some good recollections of that game as well so finished product, you've got the film, you, you're, you're trying to get it out there. It, it, are there times where it's kind of like, I, I'd like to go back and do one more edit, or I, I, I suppose all these interviews, all this content, all these memories, trying to boil it down to just under an hour, that isn't easy. No, there's a lot, lot of footage to go, to go on. And you bring up a point, too, I have thought about that, as I've watched it now six, seven times. And the interviews we went through play back in my head, and I think, man, I should have maybe dropped that quote in there too, or this would have been right. good here. And so we're all, you know, like we're humans. We're all our own worst critics, I think. And as I watch it over and over again, I go, oh, man, I should have done that different right there. It's like that two-second spot that nobody's going to notice, or there's a, a three-second sound bite that nobody remembers, but I do. And I think, oh, that would have been great right there. And so that eats right. me up a little bit, just kind of – but uh, overall, very happy with the way the finished product looks. And uh, I feel like we've got some feedback already from the players that are happy with it, too. And that was the most important thing. Um, the players and the coaches, if we told the story respectful and if they enjoyed it, that was uh, the most most important thing. Because those guys lived it. And if they like how we told it, then we did a good job. Well, it, it is just a great story, Aaron. I, I'm I'm so glad you did it. And, and you put in all the time, and I wish you the, the, the best on all of this. And before we let you go, tell people uh, how they find your website, how they find the film, if they're interested. Uh, it's just, just really cool. Marathon on Ice, a uh, film by Aaron Briner uh, about the Duluth East Apple Valley 1996 semifinal that went to five overtime. Yeah, it was. So everything, we're following everything through our website. So if you're interested in checking out the full film or if you just want to watch the trailer, um, avenue18productions.com. I'll say it one more time, avenue18productions.com. That's where everything is funneled through. And from that landing spot, you can access everything about this film and 
Uh, our email is on there as well. If you have questions or stories you want to share, feel free. And from there, you can link up to whatever you want. I can hardly wait to watch it, Aaron. And uh, definitely, I'll, I'll, I'll send you an email. I'm really looking forward to it. All right. I'm excited, too. I'm glad you um excited to be on your show today. Yeah, thanks so much, Aaron. Take care. Have a good night. All right, there he is, Aaron Briner, uh, filmmaker. Marathon on Ice, the story that Duluth East Apple Valley 5 overtime state tournament game from 1996. That, that was great stuff. Uh, first time out, uh, and, and there he's got a finished product. That's really neat. 1025 here at News Talk, E3OWCCO. We'll get you up to date on the headlines. Of course, uh, the big story this evening, Vice President, former United States Senator from Minnesota, Walter Mondale, passed away at the age of 93. We'll have an update from CBS News at 1031. We'll have the weather and more on late night. Steve Thompson sitting in for Henry Lay here at News Talk, E3OWCCO. It is 10.34 here on a Monday night, late night. Steve Thompson in for Henry Lake. Henry was in earlier. You typically hear me on Saturday afternoons these days here on News Talk, E3O-WCCO. Pleased to be joined by Mike Wall from Space.com. And, uh, Mike, quite a day uh, news-wise here in Minnesota with closing arguments in the Derek Chauvin trial. And we learned this evening that Vice President Walter Mondale passed away, a former United States Senator from Minnesota. Uh, but we we want to shift gears and talk about some of the other big news of the day. And one of those is NASA's Ingenuity helicopter aced uh, its flight today on Mars. Uh, there's a video at space.com. Tell us more about this historic flight. Yeah, it's uh, it's the first time we've ever actually done like a powered controlled flight on on a world beyond Earth. So it was a really big deal. And it was it was a brief flight. It was this little four pound helicopter got about 10 feet above the Martian surface. It kind of hovered there for about 39 seconds. And it did like a little 90 degree turn and came right back down exactly where it lifted off. So as far as first flights go, you know, that's pretty, pretty standard. Like the first time ever, you want to keep it simple, keep it short. And but yeah, it was historic. It's it shows that we know how to fly on Mars now. It is possible. And that was not something you could take for granted. I mean Mars's atmosphere is only one percent as thick as Earth. So it's basically like going up to a hundred thousand feet elevation basically and trying to fly here on Earth and that that's how thin the air is. So there 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 was a question of whether we could actually do powered flight there in in a reasonable way. And now we know that we can and so I mean it's pretty exciting because who knows what the future will hold maybe the future will be will be full of helicopters exploring mars doing all sorts of exciting things yeah and the ability to be able to in some way shape or form test this on earth before the perseverance rover and uh the ingenuity helicopter go there they successfully land and then to be able to get to this point where it actually flies it's it, it is absolutely amazing and we've talked about this uh, this is this is science and engineering at, at its absolute peak oh yeah and they they did yeah i mean this 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 is like yeah this is like a nasa jpl project jet 
the like Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is the same institution that's that's that, like the lead yeah, it's the lead institution for the Perseverance rover. And they so they they built this thing at JPL, and they they have a test chamber there where they can actually get it down to Mars atmosphere, you know, pump out a bunch of air, so it simulates Mars's air. And then they they also rigged up a bunch of um, like like some wires basically that they they used to suspend this little helicopter in that test chamber, which actually mimicked Mars gravity, which is only about forty percent as strong as that on Earth. So they so they tested this thing. Lots and lots and lots, you know, hundreds of times in that chamber at JPL, and and it worked. So there was some confidence that it was going to work on Mars, but you just never know, right? You can you can test as well as you think you can test, but you might be missing something. There might be something different on Mars that you didn't know about. It could have been like a like a freak windstorm, or or like maybe the winds were stronger there than you had anticipated or built into your model. So yeah, you just never know until you actually go there. And now we've gone there and done it. This is and this is this is only the the first flight. They're, they're still planning to do four more flights over the next two weeks, and each of them will get like progressively more ambitious and more complex. And by by the end of this two week stretch, it's probably gonna they're 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 really gonna push this little helicopter and send it like like two thousand feet downrange and have it do all sorts of crazy things. Hopefully, so there's lots to look forward to. Yeah, and the, the, there is a video at the site, and it it's uh, Perseverance and its view. And th- there's also uh, a video from Ingenuity as well. Yeah, yeah, there, there is going to be a video from Ingenuity. Um, it, it actually took pictures with its, its navigation camera. It's got, a, it's, like it's got a black and white navigation camera, and those have already come down to Earth. People may have seen those. It's a, it's a black and white photo right. of... Of, of the helicopter's shadow on the ground. But but it also has like a really it's it's got like a thirteen megapixel color pic or color camera on it too. Those pictures that it took that, that, that camera took during the flight have not come down to Earth yet, or at least we haven't seen them yet, but we we, we will see them. So we're gonna see like a helicopter's eye view like looking out toward the horizon in in color. Um, so that's that's gonna be pretty cool too. A uh, couple of things before we run out of time tonight. Uh, I want to hit uh, some headlines back here on Earth. Uh, we have another Crew Dragon flight coming up quickly. Yeah, it's going to be very early Thursday morning. SpaceX is going to launch its third astronaut mission to the space station. Second, but it's the second one that's fully operational with four people going up there for a six-month stint. Yeah, so they're really getting up and running. And this is an exciting mission for lots of reasons, and actually one of them is that it's like a reused, it's, it's a reused Dragon capsule. So it's the same capsule that the very first SpaceX crew went up on last May, so just about a year ago now, on their first demonstration flight with astronauts. And it's, it's the same rocket that launched the most recent astronaut mission from SpaceX. So they, they really prioritize reuse, and they're building it real they're they're getting up and running with their astronaut missions and incorporating reused rockets reused capsules it's all happening and and the crew that is up there will return home on uh another crew dragon capsule at some point as well correct yeah the, yeah that the the like previous crew dragon mission it's still active it's there there is a crew dragon still up there they're they're going to come down on the 28th i believe so in in, in a little over one one week that crew dragon the, the most recently arrived one is going to come back down again with the four astronauts who came up in November, and just yeah, just just like a week or so after this um, this this new crew of, of four astronauts arrived. So that's it's 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 going to be crowded up there in, until 
that that crew leaves when when this newest crew arrives they're going to be 11 astronauts up there and that's pretty that's about twice as many people as you usually have on the space station and then we'll get back down to seven when when that yeah when those four people leave next yeah like next week on on the other crew dragon so yeah it's a, there's there's a lot going on yeah and uh, finally, SpaceX won a big contract. When NASA returns to the moon as part of the Artemis program, uh, the lander will be built by SpaceX. Is that not correct? That is correct. Yeah, actually, that that was big news on Friday. NASA announced that it had it, it had chosen to go with SpaceX to put astronauts on the moon. You know, NASA has this big push to return astronauts on the moon to the moon and create like a base on the moon as a way to learn enough to, to get to Mars, you know, build up that knowledge base. And there, there were three kind of private teams in the running to build that lunar lander. And on Friday, we, we actually learned SpaceX had won the contract, and they're going to go with Starship. NASA trusts SpaceX's next-generation Mars vehicle as, as their lunar lander. So that's pretty, that's pretty exciting, too. Well, always good to visit with you, Mike. We appreciate you joining us on a historic day. Uh, once again, uh, Ingenuity uh, took flight on Mars. Uh, the, the video is absolutely spectacular, and uh, we, we always enjoy our visits for sure. Well, yeah, yeah, I always enjoy talking to you. It's always good to visit. All right, thanks so much, Mike Wall. Space.com joining us here at News Talk E3OWCCO. Ten forty six, fourteen minutes now in front of eleven o'clock. We have all the news and weather. Coming up at 11 o'clock, we'll start with CBS News. Top story, Walter Mondale passes away, a former vice president, former United States senator from Minnesota. And uh, we will continue uh, to cover that story uh, through the night online at WCCORadio.com. Earlier, Mike Max, uh, a number uh, of great guests to discuss. Uh, We had Professor Larry Jacobs. Uh, former Governor Arnie Carlson join us, and we would expect uh, the reaction to continue tomorrow. Plus, of course, closing arguments in the Derek Chauvin trial. Uh, it is now with the jury. They begin deliberations, and we will continue to follow that story as well. Uh, the Wild beat the Coyotes in Arizona 5-2. to two. Timberwolves are idle. The Twins get good mo- uh, news. No more positives, so they will resume the season. After losing two games in Anaheim on Saturday and Sunday, uh, today's game scheduled or tonight's game scheduled for Oakland postponed, and now they'll play a double header in Oakland. Uh, the Twins were going to travel from Anaheim to Oakland this evening. Our coverage begins tomorrow at five o'clock. Chris Atterbury, it'll be a straight double header. Uh, the Twins and the A's, Corey Probus, Dan Gladden, with all the action. And as a result, uh, the Timberwolves will be available uh, on HD, uh, on an HD channel, and, of course, uh, the Odyssey app and the Timberwolves app tomorrow night as they play the first of two in a row with the Kings in Sacramento. Right now we're going to talk motorsports. Reed Spencer joins us, NASCAR Wire Service. Reed, thanks for staying up late and joining us. Oh, no no problem at all, Steve. As a matter of fact, when... uh... When your producer called, I was 
catching up on 60 Minutes and watching the story about the Prince Vault. So, uh, you know, a lot a lot centered in Minnesota lately. Yeah, that 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 is for sure. And of course, a uh, uh, lot of lot of folks thinking about Vice President Walter Mondale and his passing uh, earlier. His family announced at the age. Uh, of 93 and of course uh, the jury now deliberating in the Derek Chauvin murder trial a lot of attention for sure here on the the state of Minnesota Uh, Reed uh, talking motorsports what a finish at Richmond Alex Bowman comes out of nowhere uh, to to get another win for Hendrick Motorsports a big win for him Um, it it looked like it would either be Denny Hamlin or Joey Logano and here comes Bowman yeah, that last caution when Kevin Harvick blew a right rear tire uh, just absolutely turned up turned the race upside down, gave Bowman a chance. Bowman had a fast car, and if you listen to the broadcast of the race, um, you know he was pretty well identified as a car that had the potential to win if they got a late restart like that. He was great for about five laps and pulled away on the restart, got in front of uh, – Hamlin got beside him and, and didn't let Hamlin clear him to the outside and then took off and won by nearly four-tenths of a second. So, uh, you know, th- th- that was quite the, the turnaround as far as the race went because as, as we were watching the final laps, it certainly looked like it was going to be between Denny Hamlin, who was chasing Joey Logano with a little bit of faster car, and that those two were going to decide to win between themselves. But certainly didn't turn out that way yeah and you look at this season so far um eighth different winner um denny hamlin doesn't have a win this year the defending champion chase elliott doesn't have a win this year kevin harvick doesn't have a win brad kozlowski kyle i mean it you can't make this up oh no And, and as a matter of fact you know would you have taken a bet at the start of the season that uh, that you would have three winners in Hendrick Motorsports cars and one of them would not be Chase Elliott? Right. Yeah, the, the defending series champ. And, and the other names I brought up, Denny Hamlin's been so so dominant and, and it's really had a great car. Denny's got to feel a little snake bit at this point. Yeah, he absolutely does. I mean, he's the points leader by a runaway margin at this point by 81 points. And he has more top fives without a win through nine races than anyone else in NASCAR history ever has. So, you know, he's been right there a number of times. And I agree with you. I mean, he's got to be feeling, you know, when is it going to be my turn? Because now eight different people have won. Martin Truex Jr., his teammate at Joe Gibbs Racing is the only driver to uh, to win more than once this year. And, you know, Denny's got to be, you know, he's in a comfortable position. As he said the other day, you know, he'd rather be in the position that he's in with eight top fives than, uh, than the position that Bowman's in with one win and a more inconsistent record. But I, I feel pretty confident that Denny's going to win pretty soon. Yeah, he's just been so good. It is a matter of time, but Alex Bowman gets it done at Richmond. They put on a good show there, and there's always a good show at Talladega. Um, and, and I suppose the car owners and the drivers know that you just don't know what's going to happen on the super speedways. And uh, here we go next Sunday. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Talladega is always more of a coin flip um, that in Daytona than than any other race because it's super speedway racing. They draft closely. Uh, the aerodynamics are different. A uh, slower car can keep up with a faster car simply by getting pulled along in the draft. And you have the possibility of someone like Michael McDowell mm. uh, winning a race at Talladega. He's the Daytona 500 winner, completely unexpected. But um, it could certainly happen to um, you know anybody else there. And, and you start looking at a different you know, a different expanded group of drivers when you get to a place like Talladega. For instance, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., all of a sudden his name comes into play. He's been running okay this year, but not up at, up the front of the pack. Uh, but at, at Talladega, I mean, hit both of his career wins are on super speedways, and he's certainly one that you can look at as a possible winner. Um, at Talladega, you can look at the – you know, the front row motorsports cars, McDowell again. Um, they have won at Talladega before. Uh, it's it's a track that produces some quirky outcomes, typically because you have massive wrecks at Talladega because of the racing in close quarters. And typically a third to the half of the field is disabled by the, by the time the race is over. Yeah. So, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully the weather cooperates. And then, uh, Reed, before we run out of time, uh, we get into May. It's Kansas, Darlington, Dover, and then a trip to Austin, Texas, Circuit of the Americas. That'll be interesting. That'll be very interesting. Uh, as a matter of fact, there were some uh, some drivers who were down there today that, that had done a little bit of preliminary testing at at CODA, the Circuit of the Americas, and that is going to be an interesting road course. It's a it's a course that has been used for Formula One, for IndyCar, and for sports cars, but never yet for a NASCAR race. Um, it is a unique circuit. The first turn, you drive up a massive hill and then take a very hard, tight left-hander at the top of the hill and then go screaming down the hill. Um, it, it's, you know, it's a road course. There you have to look at Chase Elliott as a possible favorite. Also Martin Truex Jr. because they've been the two best road course racers that we've had in the series um, over the last, you know, over recent history. So, um, you know, I look at one of them as a possible winner. And that may be the place, very place where Chase gets his first win if he doesn't have it by then. Yeah, so it, that that's going to be a lot of fun. I I always like when they they go to a new track and try something new, and that'll be the case in Austin, Texas, on May twenty third. Well, Reed, appreciate you staying up late, and and thanks so much for the time as always. Absolutely, Steve. Great to be with you. All right, there he is, Reed Spencer, NASCAR Wire Service. Once again, Alex Bowman wins at Richmond, and now it's uh, next at Talladega. I I always have to catch the super speedway races because you never know what's going to happen and i don't watch motorsports for the wrecks that's for sure if you want to understand the skill of these drivers watch a super speedway race and and realize they're going at 190 or 200 miles an hour and they are literally going three wide bumper to bumper around the it's insane and 
that is coming up on Sunday. Next stop, NASCAR. Good news for the Twins here tonight. No more positives. And they are traveling this evening from Anaheim up to Oakland where the season will resume. They'll play a doubleheader on Tuesday. Our coverage begins at 5. It'll be a straight doubleheader. Corey Provost, Dan Glyden, Chris Atterbury with the pregame and postgame stuff uh, here on the home of the Twins. News Talk, E3O-WCCO. Shoemaker will start game one. Barrios tonight cap. And then the getaway day game on Wednesday, Kenta Maeda will get the start. And Maeda so far this year, he was great during spring training. But he's been just okay so far for the Minnesota Twins. So we'll see how they bounce back after not playing Saturday, not playing Sunday, and not playing today. So the Twins have been off for three days due to COVID problems, but it looks like things are straightened away. Twins and A's in a doubleheader beginning tomorrow at 5 o'clock. So good news on the Twins front. Wild get the W in Arizona 5-2. to two. Uh the Wild on an upswing again. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that game. They'll get Arizona again on Wednesday down in the Valley of the Sun. Timberwolves are idle. They play two in a row in Sacramento beginning late tomorrow night. Weather-wise here in the Twin Cities, 34 degrees. We'll bottom out at 29. Tomorrow, some sun, maybe a snow shower or two, and 43. We'll have all the news, including the latest on Walter Mondale at 11 o'clock. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.